Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. This morning as uh, we were getting ready for church, Priscilla was saying to Abby, she's like, today is Palm Sunday, and do you remember what they said for Jesus? And, and she was struggling. So Priscilla said, ho, and she goes, oh, ho, ho, ho. And then uh, Priscilla was like, no, they said, Hosanna. And she goes, oh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so she redeemed herself. And I took a deep breath and I said, thank you, Lord. She, she, she got it right, that one. And so today is Palm Sunday. And uh, not ho, 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 but Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Today, I want to speak to you with God's help, uh, a message entitled, The Promise of God's Presence. The Promise of God's Presence. And in the Old Testament, it was interesting because God's presence would physically manifest on the earth. And there are examples that we can read where it says that He led His people with a pillar of cloud by day. Right? And they would see this giant pillar of cloud and they would follow it. And then they would also at night be led with a pillar of fire. And God would personally lead them in that way. And he led Israel. In Second Chronicles 5, in verse 13 and 14, Solomon built the temple that his father David would not build. And could not build because God said it's not going to be through you but through your son. So Solomon was, was building the temple. And at the dedication of the temple, this is what happened. And I want to read it to you. Verse 13 of Second Chronicles 5. At that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not continue their service because of the cloud. For the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of God. So this was a a physical thing that they couldn't continue church. They couldn't minister because of the glory of this cloud, the thickness in the room. And it was a very real experience for them. And that's the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, we we read something different. And 1 Corinthians 6.19 tells us this. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who lives in you and was given to you by God. And we also read in the New Testament where it says God doesn't live in man-made temples or tabernacles, but He chooses instead to live inside of you and me. So say this word with me, carrier. One more time, carrier. I'm a carrier of God's presence. I'm a carrier of God's presence. So wherever I go, I carry the presence of the Lord. And in, in our young adults, um, a few weeks ago, someone had the question, I was talking about setting the atmosphere for breakthrough. And they said, like, what do you mean the right atmosphere? Have you ever walked into a place where you just sense there's something wrong? And, and I believe the Holy Spirit inside of us gives us discernment. And I remember when I finished Bible school, or sorry, I didn't finish. It was after my first semester. I was in a different environment for a whole semester, four months. The presence of God, Bible study, classes, learning about the Bible, all of that. And then when I went back home to Montreal, 
I, I, I was sitting on the back steps of Emmanuel Church, and I just was waiting. I was early for church, and I was just, I, I felt in the, in the sky, in the city, such a darkness, such a darkness. By the way, Quebec needs a move of God. I'm grateful for the churches. There are missionaries being called to Quebec. Think about that. That are being called from different countries because Quebec's a mission field. A while ago, the statistic was less than 1% was evangelized or saved. Well, less than 1%. I don't know what the statistic is today. This is about 10 years ago. But I felt that, that darkness. And I want you to know that you can walk into work where it feels like a similar environment. But here's the thing. You carry the presence of God. And so though on the external you see that something else is different, I want you to know that God deposited everything on the inside of you that you need to shift the atmosphere that you are walking into. And so we are carriers of His presence. Again, the promise of God's presence is that it's, it's available to us. But unlike the Old Testament where we could see the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire, sometimes we forget. Because to be honest, maybe you don't sense anything different in the different environments that you find yourself in any given week. Maybe you're saying, I, may, I understand that God says He dwells inside of us, but, but I don't really feel it. I don't feel it, so how do I know if it's true or not? I know it says it, but I don't experience it for myself. And so I want to walk you this morning through some, some scripture that will help us understand that there are guaranteed places of encounter with God. And it's not rocket science. I heard one pastor uh, speak profoundly on this subject. And so I'm not uh, repeating his message that I heard. But, but it spurred in me this idea about God's presence. God's presence. If he promised his presence, then we have his presence. And it's much more than a feeling. But how then do we position ourselves to begin to feel and experience God's presence. It's much more than a feeling. We have to experience it and understand that we carry His presence. And if you have your Bible, would you turn and stand with me to Isaiah chapter 7? Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to read... One verse from there and one verse from Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. If you're there, shout amen. Some of you just say amen because you're like, I'm following on the screen anyways. That's okay. You can say amen as well. We're going to start reading um, kind of halfway through. And here's what it says, Isaiah 7, halfway through verse 14. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And then if you would jump to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and this is what it says, just a couple of chapters. Isaiah 9, verse 6, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And just for a second, I want, 
I want to draw to your attention. He's called Emmanuel, God with us. And then chapter 9, he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Since God is with us, our Emmanuel, I have peace. Since God is with us, Emmanuel, I have a counselor, a wonderful counselor. And because God is with us, I have an everlasting father as well, a mighty God. And today, anything that we need to remember and know for ourselves is right here in these verse, these two verses for us, for this morning's message. Emmanuel, God with us. Would you bow your head with me? Father, I thank you this morning for the simplicity of your word. Lord, I'm becoming more and more convinced that we make it way more complicated. Today, Lord, help us to understand this simple promise. Lord, the promise of your presence. Lord, that we're never alone, but you are always with us. And God, I pray today, if anyone feels uh, like, like they haven't experienced your presence, Lord, before we leave this place, would you reveal yourself to them afresh and anew, God? Maybe for the very first time, would you show who you are in this place? God, we thank you. Lord, I ask now for your anointing upon me as I speak and communicate your word. I pray that I would say what you want me to communicate. Nothing more, nothing less. God, I ask for your anointing upon my mind, my heart, and my lips. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. The promise of God's presence. I want to share with you uh, guaranteed places of encounter. And the first place of encounter is Scripture. The first place where we can encounter God is Scripture. If you read God's Word... It's not rocket science. If you read God's word, guess what? You will find him. If you read God's word, you will find him. Yet, the reality is, even most Christians today are biblically illiterate. And I'm just going to let that sink in. See that phone agreed with, with the comment. It's like notification, note to self. That's true. That many Christians today hear the preaching they listen to sermon podcasts, but when it comes down to it, you, you can't even recite one verse a year. If you're 37 years old and you learn one verse a year, that should be 37 Bible verses. That's my age, by the way. right? If I learn one verse a year, I should be able to quote 37 scriptures. But many of us don't even know what the Bible says. We just kind of know what it says because we've heard it preached. And we say, yeah, doesn't it say somewhere about this, Pastor? Like a, a, a little lie is better than a big lie? No. <laughs> right? And we, we start to, but most of the Christians today, it's a sad truth. We are biblically illiterate. We're familiar with it enough, but we don't actually know Scripture. And so one of the ways that we can have a guaranteed encounter with God is in Scripture. If you read the book, you will know God and you will find God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God, all of it, and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. In other words, as you read this book, the book reads you. As you read this book, the book reads you. 
And it exposes the true reality of who we are. And it's not pretty most of the time, I'll be honest, even in my own life. And it, it makes me realize, God, I need you. God, I need you. Thank you for your word. It teaches, it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. And it teaches us to do what is right. Verse 17, God uses it to prepare and equip. Say prepare and equip. God uses what? His word to prepare and equip his people, you and me, to do every good work. So we need the word as believers. Amen? We need the word of God in our lives. The reality is, it's written by many different people from many different backgrounds, many different ages and cultures. But it's one spirit, the spirit of God. The spirit of God inspired man. Here's the thing. That many different authors of all these different books, and it's cohesive, and it makes sense, and as it's put together, it all points to the truth of Christ. The Old Testament, prophetically speaking about the coming Savior, Jesus, and then the fulfillment of all of those prophecies. I read somewhere that, do you know the odds or the probability of one person coming, being born on earth, fulfilling all of those Old Testament prophecies. I don't remember what the number was, but it was astronomical. But yet, Jesus came and fulfilled the whole of the Old Testament, all the prophecies. And we are still waiting today for an important one, that he's coming back for his church. And listen, here's the here's truth. If all of those, I heard one preacher say uh, it's about 75% of Bible prophecy has already been fulfilled accurately. Don't you think the last 25% will be accurate as well? So you don't have to wonder in Scripture, is God really going to do that? No, if He said it, He's going to do it. The first 75% has come to pass. You can be sure that the remaining 25% will come to pass as well. And so it's the same spirit, but many different people were used. And you can't separate the written word from the living word. The written word from the living word, Jesus. John 1 verse 1, In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. And then John 1.14, So the word became human flesh. And made his home among us. And this is the story of Jesus. That the word, Jesus, became flesh. So we have the written word, but you can't separate the written word from the living word who is Jesus. And so God's word keeps us on track no matter what we face. It keeps us on track. Remember, as we read it, it reads us. It reveals the heart and mind of God to us but also his character and his attributes. So it, if you want to know the heart of God, start with the word of God. Because it's like when I was dating Priscilla, we were separated because I lived in Montreal. She lived here. So 600 kilometers were in between us. But yet email, every day I would email her in the morning. I was working at FedEx, so I was up at like 4 a.m. I would send her messages at 4.30 so that when she would wake up at 6, she would read them. And, and she began to know my heart for her, that I loved her. By the way, uh, you're probably wondering, well, do you still do it, Pastor John, sometimes? 
Sometimes I've been trying to do it a little more often because I'm like, I don't want that fire to die. We're about to celebrate 10 years in June, the faithfulness of God. And, and right, but she knows my heart because I'm communicating it through the written word, through an email. This, you want to know God's heart? You want to know God's plan for you, for your life? Read the word of God. It starts here in scripture. You want to know what God is like? Because you can't see him, right? Read the word. You're going to see what makes him tick. You're going to see what upsets God. You're going to see what God loves. You're going to know and understand that his heart is actually for you, not against you. You're going to realize all of these incredible things about who God is as our father. And so the scripture, you want a guaranteed place of encounter with God? Start with scripture. And you can, you're guaranteed you will find him. So when you open scriptures, you'll meet the author. When you open the scriptures, you'll meet the author. I, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've gone to Chapters or Indigo. And, and there's like a nice table there for the book signing, for the author to come. And there are some times um, where if it's a popular book or a bestseller or something, where that lineup is pretty long. And really all you're doing, you're waiting for a signature so they can sign the book and you can snap a picture or a selfie style one, right? To say, I met the author. But guess what? You don't know the author. You just met the author. It was a one-off exchange, right? Here's my signature. Here's a picture. But when you read this book, you don't just meet God. You get to know God. And there's a big difference in just knowing about or, or meeting someone for the first time, very superficial, and knowing them, having a relationship. And this is what the Word does for us. Open up the book. And you will encounter God. Read the book. Read scripture. And you will have an encounter with God. That's number one. The second way we can have an encounter or the second place of encounter is in gathering together. In gathering together. Matthew 18 verse 19 and 20 says this. I also tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask... My Father in heaven will do it for you. Some of you should get excited for that. Verse 20, For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst. Where two or three are gathered. There is power in our gathering together as the church. You know, and... To be honest, I love technology. I love the fact that churches are using the online platform to show services. And it's great if you're out of town. It's great if, if you just physically can't get to the building. But here's what I want to submit to you to think about. that, As great as that is, it's missing a core element. Which is why I believe this church will never die and be replaced with church online. Because you miss the power of gathering together, one-on-one, face-to-face, holding hands, praying with one another, agreeing together in prayer, and hearing people pray, and worshiping together. There's power in our gathering. And when two or three are gathered, what does Jesus say? There I am in the midst. So a guaranteed place of encounter for the believer is when you gather with other believers and you agree in the name of Jesus. 
And it's not just agreeing, hey, let's go to the bar. Let's have a couple of beers together. There's a, there's a time to be social. But if you want to have a, a guaranteed place of encounter, I submit to you that you need to, with intentionality, gather together with fellow believers. Gather and call upon the name of the Lord. Last Sunday night, that's what we, we did. We had encounter night. Oh, it's not named by accident, by the way. Right? It's a place of gathering, so we come to encounter the Lord. It's a guaranteed place of encounter. Maybe some of you have not come out on a, on a Sunday night. You think, Sundays is mornings, I'm, I'm good for the morning. But, but if you want more, come back at night. It's a guaranteed place of encounter. Not because it's my guarantee, because it's Jesus' word. He said, where two or three are gathered, in my name, there I am in the midst. And so we have to make sure... In the name of Jesus, we gather together. And, and I know I made a reference to the bar. I don't think going to a bar, by the way, is a good place. Just in case some of you are like, is he encouraging us to go drink at the bar? Um, no, not at all. If, if there's anything you want to drink, it's, it's the, the new wine of the Holy Spirit. And he'll make you new inside and out. Hebrews 10 verse 25. Cal, do we have that scripture there? Because I don't think I put it in my notes. So... And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let me give you a little bit of context for Hebrews chapter 10. We don't know who the author of this book is. Uh, there's speculation. I'm not concerned about sh getting into that and sharing that this morning. But uh, th the book of Hebrews was written to the Jews that heard the good news, accepted the gospel, but some of them were turning back and going back to the way of the law. Jesus came not to, to abolish the Old Testament law, but he said, I have come to fulfill the law. And so in Jesus, everything is satisfied with the law. But they were turning back to the outworking of the law. Do this for salvation. Do this, which is under the law. But in Christ, we, he died so that we would be set free under grace. Now, so this is why he was saying that. He's, he was saying, don't do this as some people are doing. So maybe you're here today. I don't know what your past religious experience looked like. I don't know if you're a new Christian, but you're, you're, you're being tempted and lured to turn your back on God and go back to the lifestyle that you had. I want to just encourage you with the words found in Hebrews 10.25. Don't forsake the gathering together. Why? Because this is the place of encounter. This is why you need to gather. So there's a new thing where they do church at home. And I'm not here to comment on that. And it's an actual network where they do church in the home. And they say this is real church. Whether you do it at home or as long as you're gathering with people... This is what's important in the name of Jesus. But don't neglect, don't neglect, don't neglect the gathering together. And I want you to take note of the last phrase, the last part of it. The time is short. We don't have forever. And we're not here to play church. We are church. We are the church. We are a church on mission that we want to see people encounter God. We want to see people saved in the name of Jesus. So we don't have time to play church. We are the church. And when we gather, this is a guaranteed place of encounter. 
And that's why I'd say don't miss Sunday mornings. Don't miss Friday nights, connect night, where two or three are gathered, there I am. Or you could stay home and kick back and just watch sports because it's playoff season. It's playoff time. But I'm just saying, if you are hungry for God to move in your life, you need to get this message and, and show up to the guaranteed place where God is going to be. And so that's number two. That in our gathering together, God shows up. Every time we gather, we can expect God to show up. Every time we gather, we can expect to show, for God to show up. Number three, a guaranteed place of encounter is in suffering. In suffering. And I know that no one likes to suffer. That's why we pray for healing. That's why we believe in faith. But I want you to know that it's oftentimes when we are pressed on every side, when we're squeezed, and we don't know how to make sense of our situation or our mess, that in our suffering, that we actually encounter God. And I'm reminded of the story in Daniel chapter 3, you might remember Daniel, but do you remember his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They wouldn't bow their knee to worship the statue when the music started to play. And the consequence, they knew full well. So they were thrown into the fiery furnace. But guess what? In their suffering and in that position, God is the fourth one in the flame. Three were thrown in, but they say, didn't we throw three? Why do we see a fourth one? And I want you to know that through your suffering and your hardship, that he's the fourth one in the flame. That he's there right beside you, even though you don't even understand it, and you don't understand why, maybe, and you're stuck with the question, and why am I going through this? I want you to know, you might say, I'm alone in this. No, you're not. If you're a believer, don't declare that. You know what you declare? God, I thank you. I feel alone, but I know that there's the promise of your presence, and I will never walk alone. You are Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. Everything in you wants to avoid that path of suffering. By the way, next, next weekend, Good Friday, I always think about the price that Jesus paid. Because you're not the only one to suffer. That's the reality you're not the only one to suffer. Jesus paid the ultimate price. They ripped his beard out. No one has ever done that to me. No one's ever pulled my hair either. You can laugh. It's okay. I was trying to be funny because I'm trying not to cry, but it's okay. I'm going to get emotional because Jesus suffered for me. He suffered for you. He didn't have to. He didn't have to. But for the joy that was set before him, the Bible says he endured the cross. And I think about the Garden of Gethsemane where he said, by the way, Gethsemane is the pressing. That's what it means. Not depressing, but the pressing. Because it was an olive grove. And what do you do to get olive oil? You go through the pressing for the oil to flow. And Jesus was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, God... Let this cup pass from me, meaning if I don't have to, may I not have to do it, but nevertheless, let your will be done. And for the joy set before him, for you and for me, he laid down his life 
suffering, a crown of thorn on his head. I'm not going to preach the message that you'll likely hear next week. Uh, we have a guest speaker, so I'm just going to take the opportunity to talk a bit more. But his suffering. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 15, I believe, that we have not a high priest who's not been touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Meaning, he walked this earth and he knows the feelings of suffering. The things that bring you pain, those pain points. Jesus is familiar with them too. The only thing he's not familiar with is sin. Because he didn't sin. He was the perfect Lamb of God, the Bible says. But in his suffering, and in our suffering, we have to understand. Paul said, that I may know you in the good and in the resurrection power, but also in the fellowship of suffering. Meaning, if Christ suffered for the gospel, it's going to cost me as well. And so we ought not to think the, the Christian life is going to be a, a walk in the park. Because especially in this day and age, we, we can get cursed for preaching or saying the name of Jesus. I read somewhere where on Twitter they were silencing certain accounts because they were pro-life. And, and, and there was a, there's a movie that's come out. And I forget the title of the movie, so forgive me for that. But they were try- it's, it's one that speaks about the, the preciousness of life in the womb. And, and the Twitter people, whoever they are, were actually disabling this account when this movie was starting to premiere recently. And I thought, man, man, the devil is, is a liar. And, and, and so in a world where we are going to be shut down, we will suffer. But we will not stop in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? In our suffering, he's the fourth one in the flames. He's our help in times of trouble. And Psalm 34, 18, if you need any encouragement today, if you feel like you're going through some suffering, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He's closer than you think. It's one of my favorite lines because I have to remind myself. He's closer than you realize. He's closer. He is Emmanuel, God, with us. And when you suffer for godly things, I didn't say for earthly things. When you suffer for godly things, they become the environment where you get to walk with Jesus. You get to walk with Jesus. Many of you know my story of when I was 23, and maybe some of you are new to the church recently that you've maybe never heard me talk. So for everyone who knows, um, I'm not going to talk long, but I just want to share. When I was 23, my mom died in a car accident. And I, I remember as a kid, 23 years still a kid, I was getting home. It was a Sunday night, and I had a question to ask her. And you know when you're excited, you don't want to forget, and you want to know the answer? I remember that day like, like it was clear as yesterday. And and. I remember running up the steps and opening up the door and expecting to see my parents, and they weren't home. It was a Sunday night. They were coming home from church, and they were going to go to Tim Hortons to pick up a a coffee, and as they were turning, they got T-boned, and they hit my mom's side, and just like that, she was was gone. And I want to tell you, I've walked through suffering. I've gone through it. The only way I could be standing up here is because God is close to me. 
And in that season where the devil tried to wipe me out, I preached my first ever sermon to the youth group after graduating Bible school the Friday right before. So two days right before she died. I preached my first sermon. Young people came to the altar. Uh, the, you know, and My sermon was running back to God. When you face a setback, don't sit back. Run back to God. It was a story of Samson. And I preached hard. And I thought, God, this is going to be awesome. And then my mom died. And, and I struggled with the thought of how can I serve God and minister to people when I'm so broken? My sister, you heard the uh, prayer request, and, and she's going through something with her pregnancy where the doctor said, you know, the baby is basically going to die when it's born. We'll have the palliative care team ready to take the baby from you as soon as it's, it's delivered. They gave her two options. You could abort now and just save all the trauma, or you can, and you should, like, you should be able to go full term, but the baby's going to die. It's like, how do we deal with that? How do we understand that? I don't, I don't understand it, but what I do understand is God is closer than we understand. And in our suffering for godly things, I, I said to my brother-in-law, uh, they do church Saturday night, I said, how are you supposed to preach and minister to others when you yourself need you know, ministry, and you need someone to preach to you. So I just took some time yesterday to encourage him, sent him a couple of text messages before they were about to start their service. But God is, is there. When you feel like you're all alone and you're suffering, I want you to know God is close. And, and it's a guaranteed place of encounter. And Charles Spurgeon said this, The best evidence of God's presence is the devil's growl. And so if you feel like you're being attacked, you feel like, why, why am I the enemy's number one target? It's probably because God's presence is there. And, and, and he's trying to do everything to derail you. So be encouraged today if you're suffering. Uh, I know it's painful and I'm not making light of anyone's situation. I was open and honest to share what, what we're walking through and what I walked through when I was younger as a family. But the reality is, is that God's presence is here. Remember, the promise of God's presence is that He dwells inside of us. Number four, guaranteed place of encounter is when you worship. When you worship. And I'm just going to take the great moment and opportunity to remind the church that we start church at 10.30 when we gather together. Uh, I'm not trying to convict you. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But if this is a true message... And if this is important, that we want to encounter God, we cannot a la carte pick and choose, today I want the message but not the worship. We can't pick and choose our experience or our encounter. It's not Netflix. It's, it's, it's not any of the Amazon TV and all of these Disney Plus, which is all coming out now. But we've been trained to, to be able to pick and choose what we like. And I've said this before. And I'm a passionate worshiper because I started to worship the Lord on these drums when I was a young kid. And I, I, I learned that I got, worship is loud because it comes from a deep place within me. There's a rumbling that takes place when, when I worship the Lord. And when we worship as the church, when we gather together, we already said gathering in the name of Jesus is a guaranteed place of encounter. But I want you to know worship is as well. That we can worship the Lord. Psalm 22 verse 3. Yet you are holy, enthroned on, or 
You inhabit the praises of Israel, your people. So God is enthroned on the praises of His people. So what does that mean? When we begin to worship, for something to come down, something has to go up. You see that? When I, when if I throw a ball up, it comes down. I can't just say, I want the ball to fall. It won't fall unless I throw it up first. And our worship is in the same way. We lift our worship high towards God. And then we start to see heaven come down in our life and in our situation. A lot of times, God is willing, but we have to throw our worship up. We have to offer it up to Him. And it takes us to initiate that. You are enthroned on the praises of Israel, your people. I want to wrap up this message today with the story in Acts 16. Acts 16, we find Paul and Silas. This is familiar to our young adults because we covered this a few weeks ago. But Paul and Silas, we didn't actually get to talk about this story in particular in this chapter. But Paul and Silas, they were beaten. And not just beaten, but beaten severely. Why? For preaching the gospel. For standing up and being a voice for Jesus. And verse 22 of chapter 16 tells us they were stripped and beaten. Verse 23 lets us know that it was actually a severe beating. And they were thrown in prison. And here's the thing. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. Why? Because they were really upset with these guys for preaching in the name of Jesus. So if you're the jailer, your responsibility is is simple, but it's important. I'm going to make sure that these two guys don't escape, because that was the instruction given. And so the Bible tells us that they were chained, and their their feet were put in shackles, and they, they were placed in the deeper part, which is the dungeon. So Envision the environment, right? Oh, it's not a good atmosphere for praise and worship. (laughs) It's not a good environment to begin to lift our voices and to sing. And at midnight, by the way, for them, it was midnight. For you, it might be 4 p.m. and that's your midnight hour. You're dealing with a situation. It might be 2 a.m., your midnight hour. Your midnight hour might come at 9 a.m. when you're walking into work. And, and you know everyone's out to, to get you. Or your boss doesn't like you and they're trying to get, get you out. Whatever your midnight hour looks like. I want you to look and take a note from what Paul and Silas do in Acts chapter 16 verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. People are listening. People are listening. Even when you're at your worst People are listening. Are your true colors the colors of God? The flavor of God? Or is it something completely different? When you're at your midnight hour, I want you to know that there are people still listening. Still looking maybe to see what you're made of. To see what's going on. And it says that they, at midnight, they sang hymns to God and they were praying and other prisoners were listening. Verse 26, suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations and all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. And you would think that they were breaking out of jail, but 
What I want to submit to you is that God was busting in to that prison and into the deepest part in the dungeon because their chains were broken and they were free. And you have to understand, if God inhabits the praises of His people, then when I'm walking in the midnight hour and it's dark and the situation and the atmosphere is not ripe, it's not good, I want you to know that your worship will change the atmosphere. And you might feel like you are bound from head to toe. But I want you to know that as you would begin to worship the Lord, it's a guaranteed place of encounter. Because He can't resist when His children begin to call upon Him and begin to sing the song of freedom in the name of Jesus. Listen, I remember reading a book from Brian Johnson from Bethel Church a couple of months ago. And I didn't know when I got the book, it was an audio book by the way, so I didn't flip through and read the table of contents necessarily. But his title was When God Becomes Real. And it was actually a whole book on anxiety and depression and the fear. And, and he struggled with it. And for him in his own life, um, he said, my dad would come as, when I was seven years old and I would be in the midnight hour and I would be lying on the floor screaming. And he said, my dad for hours would have to worship. And he said, for me, dealing with the anxiety, worship after hours and hours would finally soothe me and I would feel peace again come over me. It was worship. God has a way of showing up in our worship church. He has a way of showing up in our worship. I'm going to ask if our worship team, I didn't prepare them, but if you could make your way up, because I want, and I think it's fitting that we end. Uh, we are gathered together. Maybe some of us in the room are suffering. We've been in the Word of God together, guaranteed places of encounter. And I think it's fitting that we also worship. So all four of these things are being being. Uh, are, are taking place right now in this place. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.